0: Get ready, Avalanche Territory. Denver Sports presents the Mile High Hockey Podcast with Mike Evans. Denver Sports is your home for the most Avalanche content. Now here's your host, Mike Evans. Hello again, everyone, and welcome in to the Mile High Hockey Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Evans. Thank you so much for joining me. Got a lot to get to with the Avalanche, the suddenly surging Avalanche who after a bottoming out loss at Chicago held a team meeting and boy, the benefits have been on display. These last three games, three straight wins outscoring their opponents 17 to four in the process. You know, the team meeting thing is, is interesting because it's, it's sort of regarded as a, you know, kind of last resort type thing. I know there's a, there's a funny statement made by an old baseball manager, Earl Weaver, back with the, in the 70s. The Baltimore Orioles had some really good teams, and he was asked once about holding a team meeting, and he completely you know, scoffed at the idea and swore a couple times and said, why do I want to hold a team meeting? What happens if we go in and lose? What do I do tomorrow? You know, it's sort of the idea that uh, if you're going to play that card, it better work. Well, it did work. And would love to, to have been inside and to, to hear some of the conversations. But I think really what it comes down to is this. You had an Avalanche team that started the season still riding the high of a Stanley Cup. And you had their best players riding that wave and maybe feeling a certain amount of uh, pride, responsibility to kind of keep that keep that train on the track, right? And you saw the Avalanche come out and play really well at the start of the season. But then the inevitability of the long NHL season starts to take hold. And it's just, it's hard to maintain it. And you can understand, I i would understand, looking at these Avalanche players, their core players who've been through it, just looking at the season in its totality and just knowing that I can't bring it every night. I can't have the same kind of intensity. And that's okay. But... It does get to a point where sloppy play, up and down play gets replaced with just really bad play. And like I said, a bottoming out against Chicago to the point where you're like, okay, hold on. All right, we got to do something about this, okay? We just can't let this drag on without addressing it. So you have the team meeting. And and really what it comes down to is just everybody sort of just getting that, that wake-up call. And reminding all these guys that, yes, you you are in the midst of a long season. And we do trust that you'll be able to flip that switch when it's time to go for the playoffs. But in the meantime, things have gotten to a point where let's just remind all of us what we're all about, who we are, what we stand for, what our standards are, and let's get back to it. And knowing that you're not going to to keep up this pace for the rest of the season. It's still a long season. We're still in the dog days of the season. But let's just remind everybody, but most importantly, remind ourselves who and what we are. And what you saw was those core players just kind of coming out of their slumber and saying, hey, let's, let's just go out, be the Avs. Be the great players that we are. Be the leaders that we are. And just let's just remind everybody, but most importantly ourselves, that this is what we are, and this is what we're capable of. And and there you go. And look at and look what the best players have done. Look in these last three games. Look at Miko Rantanen, four goals and an assist over the last three games. Look at Kale McCarr, two goals and two assists before he got hurt in those two games. Uh, that we're talking about in this stretch. Look at uh Nathan McKinnon, two goals and six assists in these last three games. Look at Artori Lekinen, five goals in these last three games. And I, I wanna I want to talk about a couple of these guys specifically. Let, let me first talk about Miko Rantanen. Team MVP, right? This guy has been the team MVP throughout the entire season, through the ups and downs, through the injuries, this guy has been a beast. And you're looking at somebody who, under normal circumstances, would have a legitimate chance to be the Hart Trophy winner as the MVP in the NHL. But that's not going to happen this year because that's going to go to uh, Connor McDavid. I'm looking at some current Vegas odds right now, right now as we speak, on winning the Hart Memorial Trophy. Connor McDavid is a crazy minus 310 to win the MVP. Next closest, okay? Connor McDavid, minus 310. Next closest is David Pasternak of the Bruins at plus 1,500. <laughs> so you go from McDavid at minus 310 to Pasternak at plus 1,500. Then you got uh, Nikita Kucherov at uh, 1,500, plus 1,500. Uh, Jason Robertson at uh, plus 2,000. Tage Thompson, at plus 2,200, Jack Hughes at uh, plus 2,500. Then you got Miko at plus 3,000. Okay. So put a buck down on uh, Miko Rantanen just in case something <laughs> happens to Connor McDavid and uh, you could find yourself getting a, a really good value. Uh, Miko Rantanen is so you're talking about the seventh best MVP odds. I'll take McDavid out of it and, and, for a second. And by, by the way, I I know I'm supposed to bow and genuflect to Connor McDavid. Okay, okay, he's a terrific player. He puts up crazy numbers. But until he actually leads this team, that Edmonton team, deep into the playoffs and puts up a better showing than they put up last year against the uh, Avalanche, I I'm just not going to buy entirely into the Connor McDavid hype. And I said this at the beginning of the season, I'll stand by it. If I was starting a hockey team today, I would still take Kale McCarr as my not, my top choice because you're talking about somebody who can dominate on both ends of the ice and play that complete 200-foot game. And so if I'm looking at the uh, the potential to have somebody like O'Connor McDavid who will stuff the stat sheet and is electric and will score goals, or I can get a guy who can be a difference maker and a dominant player at both ends of the ice like a Kale McCarr? I, I'll, I'll take McCarr. I know I'm in the vast minority, and I know even some of you as Avalanche fans are listening to this and probably uh, arching your eyebrows and going, really? But uh, that's the way I believe. That's the way I believe. Uh, but that's just me, my opinion. You can agree with it or disagree with it. But Miko Randon has just been a been a horse, been a stud. And and where would the Avalanche be without him? And Tori Lekanen, can I just once again... Uh, talk about how great Joe Sackick and Chris McFarlane have been at being able to identify young veteran players who were already established NHL players and had played to a a, a good level at places they had been before, but the Avs front office recognizing that these guys have even more to their games and even more potential and even more upside – and they go out and get him, bring him here, and we've seen the results, how they take their game to a whole nother level. We've seen it with Val Nachuskin. I, I believe we've seen it with Devon Taves. And we're seeing with our Tori Lekanen. As we speak right now, Lekanen has 14 goals on the season through 40 games. His career high with Montreal was 18 goals back in his rookie season. In the last six years, up until this year, he has not scored more than 14 goals in a season. So the guy is already having a career year compared compared to the last uh, six years, and he's on pace where he is not, not only going to surpass, but probably shatter his career goal total uh, that he set way back when he was a rookie in Montreal. Just another terrific pickup. And I remember when Lekkonen was, was traded for, the idea was, hey, you're getting somebody who's a, uh, a good energy guy, good effort guy, good two-way player not a dynamic score but he'll he'll pot up he'll pot a few for you and now here we are looking at a guy who's on pace to score close to 30 goals this year genius just genius it's, it's what the avalanche uh, continue to do so the avalanche their best players uh, challenged after a lot of sluggish hockey and they've responded over the last 3 games uh, do i believe it's going to continue i do think that at some point uh, they will kind of get back to maybe a little bit more grinding hockey, at least until the reinforcements come. At least until the guys come back from injuries. Until they get the Josh Manson's and the Gabe Landeskog's back, and the Kale McCarr back. Uh, and also knowing that there's going to be—we talked about this last week—the the thing about this this team, you know, they're going to be trades made. You know it. It's it's just. It's the Avalanche model when they're a successful contending team going all the way back to the days of Pierre Lacroix. Joe Sackick observed that. He learned from it. Chris McFarlane, same thing. The Avalanche are going to be aggressive at the trade deadline. So there are reinforcements coming, and there'll be outside reinforcements coming, and that will energize this hockey team post-trade deadline, and they'll be ready to roll by the time the playoffs come around. But uh, I, I, I know I said as most recently as last week on this podcast, hey, the Avalanche are in grind mode right now. We'll probably be in grind mode for the next month, month and a half, that you you probably won't see any eight or nine game winning streaks with the Avs until the end of February. Uh, I might have to retract that after seeing how they played the last three games. Maybe there is an eight or nine game winning streak that they are uh, embarking upon right now with these first three. We'll see. Um, I would I would love to be proven wrong, but... The, the point is, is that no matter what happens between now and the, the trade deadline, um, as an Avalanche fan, if you were starting to get nervous at all, and we, we joked last week that my concern meter was at four and a half, I'd, I'd raised it to four and a half. Maybe even 4.75, but I wasn't ready to go to 5 yet on the concern meter because once you pass that halfway mark, now you're just starting to creep closer and closer to panic, and I was far, 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 far from feeling any panic about this hockey team. Uh, A lot of trust in in this group, in this core, in this leadership, in this coaching staff, and these last three games have have shown that whatever – faith and trust uh, that you have in this team, it's justified. It is justified. This is this is that rare professional sports team that you can trust to show up when it absolutely matters most, and they have proven that over the last couple of games. Uh, some other thoughts that I wanted to get to. We saw the Avs reunite and go up against Nazem Kadri and raise the question of, did the Avalanche do the right thing in not paying Naz? And letting him walk. And I, at the time, believed it was a good idea. And I continue to believe that it was a good idea. And and here's why. Because as as terrific as Kadri was for the Avs, it's not like he's irreplaceable in the short term. You you looked at letting Naz go with the idea that, hey, we'll let some of the other younger players, give them an opportunity to step into that second-line center role, and effectively replace Cadry. That hasn't happened yet. But I go back to the trades, and I go back to the trade deadline, and knowing that this Avalanche team is going to be aggressive, uh, there was never a doubt in my mind that they would find a replacement for Kadri. On paper, that they would find a replacement for Cadry. Either one of these young guys would step up, or they would go out and trade for one. So I've never doubted the idea that they would be able to replace Kadri. Now, Kadri showed that the dude's a playoff stud, right? And not everybody that you bring in is going to be able to handle that kind of moment, that kind of pressure. And that is a a risk that you're taking. But I think it's a good risk. I think it's a a, a risk that has a a good chance of working out for the Avs. With whoever they target to come in and be that second line center. But the other thing, too, is that I know that right now we're in a win now window with this team. But because of how young the Avs core is, and because of how well this front office has proven at being able to draft, develop, uh, and and also go out and, and, and make shrewd moves, shrewd trades. Look, the AS window is going to be open for a long, long time. And one way you keep your window open for a long, long time is you don't get yourself bogged down by contracts that age poorly. And as much as I get the idea that that if you went out and signed NASM Kadri to a six-, seven-year deal, that you wouldn't have to worry in the first two, three years of that deal what kind of player you're getting You do have to worry about what kind of player he'd be on the back end of that deal. And in a salary cap sport where we don't see the salary cap zooming up like we see it in other sports, you got to be aware of that. You got to manage it. And you can't be carrying around guys who are on the last two, three years of their contract. And it's, it's just not, it's, you're just not getting the, the payoff. And so, The reason why I'm not upset with them letting Kadri go, one, you do have to think long-term with some of these contracts. You just can't be so caught up and swept up in the immediate moment that you uh, lose sight of how these contracts could age poorly, but also understanding that it's not like the Avalanche were never going to replace Kadri in the short term. Uh, This was always going to be the plan somehow, some way, and I think that by the time we get to the playoffs, we're going to feel pretty good about uh, who that second-line center is and feel pretty good about that player's ability to go out and, and give the Avs in the playoffs something similar to what they got from Kadri. So I'm not too concerned about that. Um, other, other issues with this hockey team, we'll, we'll see what happens. We'll hold our breath a little bit with Cale McCarr, how long he's going to be out. Man, the NHL. Jared Bednar asked, hey, where's the injury for McCarr? Is it upper body or lower body? And he said, "Ah, eh, it's somewhere in there so probably looking at something in the middle right so uh it, it, it I just wanted to kind of riff a little bit on uh, the silly way that the NHL I'm, I'm making this an overall NHL thing I'm not I'm not just sing, singling out the avs and bednar it's just I don't get it you know why it's like super secret police double probation about uh, when it comes to these these injuries, that it's just so vague and so upper body, lower body. Yeah, Come on. It reminds me of a great story. Great story. Little little story time here with you. This is when the Avalanche were winning their cup in 2001, and Bob Hartley was the coach. And they were in the midst of winning the cup, and they were playing in Los Angeles. And Joe Sackick, if you recall, as a player, had suffered a um, pretty, pretty bad shoulder injury. And we're in L.A. Sandy Clough and I were in L.A., uh, covering the covering the playoff run cl- covering the series it was a beautiful day in LA and the off day and they're getting ready for practice and so we're walking in to the arena with the the team and walking in with Bob Hartley and uh we're joking about the fact that he's being so um evasive uh, about Joe Sakic's injury everybody knows it's a separated shoulder everybody right and so uh so we're walking in and we're we're kind of busting his chops a little bit about like well what are you going to say about Sackick's injury when you're asked? And He goes watch this. He's got a little gleam in his eye, a little grin, a little smirk. He says watch this. So sure enough, uh, right after practice, he gets up, little press conference, and first question, uh, Coach Bob, uh, what what what's what's going on with uh, with Joe? Is, is his shoulder separated? He goes oh ho ho oh ho, ho, ho. no 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 sore shoulder, sore shoulder. Just sore. It was just sore. Right? Everybody in the world knows it was separated. Hey, hey, hey. no, 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 no. It's not, don't, 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 don't. Hey, not separate. Sore. Just sore. Sore? That thing was like ready to fall off. And yet, Joe Sackick being the stud, stud that he was as a player. Some of you younger ass fans, don't, don't just think about Joe Sackick, the the outstanding. On his fast track to being a Hall of Fame executive, go back, look at some of the clips of this guy as a player, dude. And and tell me if you've ever seen a more lethal. Well, maybe up until McKinnon, <laughs> McKinnon can McKinnon can give Joe Super Joe a ride for when uh, when it comes to those those uh, wrist shots. Sackett could snap one of those bad boys off, but yeah, McKinnon is kinda, he's in the ballpark. That's for sure. Uh, That's a great debate to have. You cannot lose with either one of those. So that'll do it for this week's edition of the Mile High Hockey Podcast. Much more upbeat this week than it's been the last couple of weeks as we've uh, been grinding through the ads. But, uh, boy, they're looking good right now. Hopefully they keep it up, and we'll be back again next week to talk about it all with you. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for uh, Johnny Fever, John Simmer, for putting this all together. And as always, would love your uh, feedback if you want to uh, reach out to me. Hit me up on Twitter at Mike Evans1043 or of course during the course of the Schlereth and Evans morning show here on the Fan, uh, on the Ramoslaw.com text line 303-713-1043. Give me your feedback and uh we'll we'll take it from there. In the meantime, we'll talk to you again next week on the Mile High hockey podcast.